Welcome to Playing Big, a podcast about what it means to play big in life and in business, and about changing the world with big ideas and big action. I'm your host, Blaine Fyan, Chief Evangelist here at True Footage, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to Playing Big. Now, I've made it a point over the years to talk about, well, you know, it says it in the opening, success and wealth building and relationship building and the financial health of your business and mindset, uh, the science of success we did a three-part series on, and a bunch of other topics. Almost all of them of course, framed in a positive way. Why? Well, because that's what we want this podcast to be about, and that's the way my brain works. After all, one of the best ways to add value for you, the listener, is to frame things in a positive way. That's the essence and the energy I want you to leave with after you listen to one of the podcasts. My guess is that you wouldn't want to listen for long if I came to you every week with something negative. However, there's also something called, and I've talked about it before on this podcast, the contrast principle. Sometimes I call it clarity through contrast, which essentially says that we we judge things based on the degree of contrast between two or more things. So for example, if you're talking with somebody at a cocktail party and they come across as a raging jerk, well, the next person you talk to, if they're even slightly less jerk-like, they will seem like a saint as compared to the first person. That's the contrast principle. If you eat something very unpleasant to your taste buds, the next thing you eat is likely to taste considerably better, even if it's something you might not have eaten prior. That's the contrast principle. Last week, I was in Colorado skiing all week, and the place I was staying in is famous for its natural hot springs. Now, after a long, cold day of hard skiing, some days powder skiing, we headed to the hot springs to soak our very taxed muscles in the hot water. Now, one of the places we did this in was located on a river. You could get out of any one of the big outdoor hot tubs that all had kind of different temperatures. You, you'd soak in these, these hot springs, uh, hot tubs, and then you would take the stairs down to the ice cold river to do a little polar plunge. And we did five or six times during our multi-hour soaks, we would climb out of the hot springs, ease our way into the icy river where we would try to sit for, uh, say two to five minutes focusing on our breath and our state of mind. And the contrast was amazing. From ice cold to 105, 106, 107 degrees, and vice versa, is an extreme version of the contrast principle, but you get it. Come out of an icy river and step into a hot tub, and it feels much hotter than it would otherwise. And vice versa, come out of a hot, 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 hot tub and step into an icy river, it feels considerably colder than it would otherwise. And so it is with the contrast principle that I come to you this week, my friends. Instead of talking about success, we're going to talk about the opposite of success. And no, the opposite of success, I know what you're thinking, it's not failure, contrary to popular belief. There is likely not a successful person alive who doesn't count failure as a necessary precursor to their success. Therefore, failure is part of success, not the opposite of it. Failure is to success what black is to white on the yin-yang symbol, if you're familiar with that. It's like two teardrops, one's black and one is white. It's part of the same whole. Now, this is just my opinion, of course, but having studied this topic for as long as I can remember, I would say that the opposite of success is not failure, it is mediocrity. So said another way, not trying so as to never fail would be the opposite of success. And like the title indicates, we're going to talk about five things unsuccessful people do to be unsuccessful. Now, before you get all self-righteous with me and say, well, Blaine, 
Who are you to call somebody successful? Take it easy. I'm not calling any individual out. We're talking about traits and behaviors that when identified can be changed and the course of one's life can be altered for the better forever. Now, before we go into these five things, let's first define success. I think this is an important step. Anytime you start talking words and you know I am a word guy, I want to make sure we agree on the definition of something so that we know we are not talking at cross purposes. So let's first define success so that we can then use the contrast principle again to know what unsuccessful means. You have to, you have to agree on a definition of success first before you can agree, uh, agree on a definition of unsuccess or unsuccessful. So if we just start with a, di- a dictionary definition of success, we could say that success is having a favorable outcome, maybe attaining something desired or intended, or producing a fortunate event. Now, if you've ever heard of the great Earl Nightingale, he's long since passed, but he's the founder of the Nightingale Conant Mail Order Success Resources Company. He was famous for many things. He had his own definition of success, and it's one that I've carried with me for many, many years now. I have several of his tape courses and things like that. And his definition of success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal or goal the progressive realization of a worthy ideal or goal. Now that leaves it kind of open, right? It leaves it open for you to decide. Progressive means there's progress. You're progressively moving towards something. Realization meaning it's happening. It's coming to fruition. You are realizing it. The progressive realization of, and then the next words, a worthy, worthy to who? Well, worthy to you, maybe worthy to the world worthy to others, and then ideal or goal. So the progressive realization of worthy, ideal, or goal is his definition of success, and I love it. It doesn't have anything to do with money, doesn't have anything to do with wealth, doesn't have any... You could be progressive, excuse me, progressively realizing a worthy, ideal, or goal in any area, maybe several areas of your life, and be considered successful by your standards. So... It stands to reason that unsuccess is the opposite of that, not progressively realizing a worthy goal or ideal, thus remaining mediocre and stuck, not progressively moving towards something that is worthy. Now, by the way, it needs to be noted, nobody wakes up and says, today's the day I give up on my dreams. Today's the day that I throw in the towel and I abandon everything that I thought was possible. That's, it's not typically how it happens. It happens slowly over time as life takes over. We all have dreams, we all have uh, desires and aspirations, but we also all make choices and then we're forced to live that life that we've chosen, whether consciously or unconsciously, intentionally or unintentionally, deliberately or not deliberately. Wife, husband, kids, job, bills, responsibility, parental expectations, society, societal expectations, friends, and of course comparing ourselves to others, which is one of the things we're going to talk about today. And it can become close to impossible to make changes after a certain point. And slowly but surely, we look back and we go, well, I kind of gave up on my dreams due to all those things. And unsuccessful to me is giving up on your dreams and settling for less than you are capable of. I would add that to Earl Nightingale's definition, the progressive realization of a worthy ideal or goal, and giving up on your dreams, settling for less than you're capable of, would be unsuccessful. Notice I didn't say that you can 
only be called successful when you achieve something. I said unsuccessful is giving up, not trying, not progressing, not realizing something, and settling for less than you're capable of. It doesn't have anything to do with achieving something. That was one of the uh, dictionary definitions, but not Earl Nightingale's and not mine. It's not the achievement of. It's not the end goal. Success is the progressive realization. And you know what happens when you get to the place that you think you wanted? You end up progressively realizing something else. You decide, okay, I want something more. It's like climbing up a mountain. You see the peak of the mountain. You say, let's head for that. And then you come to a little outcropping in the mountain. You go, well, I thought this was the peak. And then you look up and you go, nope, there's way more up there. And then you keep climbing. And then you get to what you thought was the next part of the peak. And you go, nope, this is just another little outcropping. You keep looking up. Well, once you you keep getting to where you think you want to be, that's the achievement of a goal, it's all done. And you get to decide, do I want to stop here? Do I want to rest? Do I want to set up camp? Or do I want to keep heading in some direction? That's the progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal. So the first thing I believe unsuccessful people do is they, well, let's just call it poor time management. They use their off time, their weekends, their free time to escape their life rather than create the life they want. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying not to take vacations or to schedule recovery time. That's not what this is. What we are talking about is habits and what we do consistently over an extended period of time. Being successful or unsuccessful, remember, progressively realizing where the ideal or goal doesn't happen overnight. Both of those things, success and unsuccess, are a series of tiny decisions made every day. Mediocrity is a series of tiny decisions made every day. Nobody wakes up and goes, I'm going to be mediocre today. It's been said before that the secret to your future is hidden in your daily routine. What does that mean? Habits. What we do daily is what we become permanently. It's okay to take the weekend off and relax. It's not what I'm saying. It is okay to take vacations and recover, rejuvenate, and relax. It's not what I'm saying. However, if you are progressively trying to realize a worthy ideal, as Earl Nightingale says, then some of the time after your job, your daily job, needs to be devoted to creating the life that you desire. If you're somebody who lives for the weekend, then you likely don't really love your vocation. doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean you hate what you do. But if you get to Friday evening and you're like, oh, I just can't wait for the weekend, well, you're likely not then going to take time to progressively realize your worthy ideal in some other area. And I have met lots and lots of people in my coaching and teaching career who say things like, well, I don't hate what I do. It's not that bad. I mean, I can live with it. It it kind of allows me to party on the weekends. Okay, well, that gives me some insight into the individual. I don't label them good or bad, just gives insight. The question then becomes, however, are you progressively working toward a worthy ideal or are you just plodding along waiting for your death? If you want more than what you have and are today, then you must be working overtime on the things that matter, progressively realizing something. I learned from one of my mentors very early on that a 24-hour day, and I teach this in some of my workshops, 24-hour day can be broken into three eight-hour segments, right? Three times eight is 24. Since most people are either laying in bed or sleeping for eight, at least eight of those hours, well, one of those segments, think about it as a pie with three chunks. And one of those eight-hour chunks is gone with sleep. You can't work and progressively realize a worthy ideal when you're sleeping. 
Well, what does that leave? Well, it leaves around 16 hours left. Some of you sleep 10 to 12 hours. Some of you sleep four or five. But you get the idea. It leaves 16 hours, essentially, left to create the life we want. Well, eight to 10 of those hours, another piece of that pie, are typically spent doing the work we've either chosen or the work that has chosen us. Some call this working for the man. Yeah, I got to go put in my eight or my 10 or my 12 to work for the man. This is the work that we do to pay the bills and buy our toys and keep the spouse happy and put food in our children's bellies. So what's left after that? Six to eight hours, if we're lucky, are left over to create the life we want. It's that third quadrant, that third piece of the pie of time where success, the progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal is achieved with consistent action. You got to have a vision and a dream. You got to kind of know what you're going to work on. But then progressively realizing that dream, that vision with consistent action over an extended period of time. And unsuccessful people escape. They use that third quadrant of time to relax from the work that they don't enjoy. Because you're usually exhausted from work you don't enjoy. It's not to say people don't work hard and you can't, you don't come home from work exhausted from building houses all day. You may love it and just the physical labor exhaust you. I get it. But another thing that can exhaust you mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually is doing work you don't enjoy. Successful people use that time, that third quadrant, to design and create the life and business that they want, progressively heading towards something, some other worthy ideal or goal that will change their lives. If you want to predict your future, by the way, create it. Now, the second thing that unsuccessful people do is they tend to seek pleasure over progress. Pleasure over progress. Progress is painful. We know this. And pleasure is the opposite of pain. For most people, I'm talking, I know some of you say, no, pleasure and pain are the same for me. But for most people, pleasure is the opposite of pain. And in the world we live today, we are surrounded 24-7 pleasure. And we are surrounded 24-7 by escape on demand. Our modern societies manufactured pleasure and escape at our fingertips with social media, games on our phone, Netflix, sugary food, fast food, and a constant stream of distraction from progressively realizing our worthy ideal. And one of the many things I have learned through the years of therapy is that we often seek pleasure to avoid delving into our pain and into our suffering. However, seeking pleasure to mask and bury the pain doesn't prevent the suffering. It doesn't prevent us from experiencing the pain. It guarantees instead that we hold on to it indefinitely. What is inside will eventually make its way outside in one way or another. That which is pushed inward eventually seeks to find the outward, or the daylight. And it, in its search for light, it often becomes dis-ease in the body. And remove the hyphen from the word dis-ease, and what do you have? Well, you have disease. That's what it becomes. Seeking pleasure to mask or hide the pain guarantees we'll experience the pain at some point, and likely multiplied. Successful pe- people seek progress over pleasure most of the time, more consistently. And again, not saying not to have fun or experience pleasure, just not at the expense of progress. That's the second trait of unsuccessful people. The third trait of unsuccessful people is their aversion to risk. Now let's be clear. 
Remember, we said that failure is not the opposite of success. People who don't like risk are not automatically failures. That's not what we're saying. Unsuccessful people tend to use past failures as the reason to not try something again, even though they might be one try away from success. That's usually the way it works. They will use their setbacks and their failures in life as the reasons to not try to do those things again. Successful people, on the other hand, tend, remember, successful meaning people progressively realizing a worthy goal or ideal. Successful people tend to use their setbacks and their failures as the reason, the energy, the impetus, and the lessons learned as their GPS, so to speak, toward success. A setback or a failure to somebody with a growth mindset, as opposed to a fixed mindset, growth mindset, it's simply a chance to reevaluate a better plan, maybe make a pivot, a slight change, or maybe even a completely new route. Instead of quitting, successful people take the lessons that they learned from the failures and the setbacks and they keep moving forward. It's not the setback or the failure that defines those people. It's their response to those things that defines them. That goes for the successful and the unsuccessful. Get up and get moving. Progress over pleasure. Now, the fourth thing that unsuccessful people tend to do is that they constantly compare themselves to others. Successful people tend to compete with their last best accomplishment, not necessarily with others. That's not to say that competitiveness isn't a trait historically found amongst some of the most successful people on earth. It often is. Take Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods, Steve Jobs, any other person generally regarded as uber successful, and you will likely find a hyper-competitive individual. I mean, I, I have been playing hockey for years. I play hockey with a bunch of guys who will lose their shit and lose sleep over a simple loss. Now, this is an over 40 beer league where we all have day jobs and families, but these guys are so competitive. They'll sulk and bitch and complain about the refing and just generally engage in what I consider to be childish behavior after a loss. You know, I leave the, the, the ice after a loss. I'm typically happy I just survived with all my bones and joints intact and that I got some good exercise on the ice where some of these guys are throwing and breaking their sticks and they leave before the game is over for losing, that kind of behavior. Competitiveness, competitiveness can be a driving force towards success, for sure. But it can also be the thief of joy. The saying is that comparison is the thief of joy. But over-competitiveness is right there too. It's okay to have people we look up to and admire. It's okay to have mentors and aspire to be like them in some way. What we cannot do is constantly compare ourselves to other people. They're not you and you're not them. And by the way, we live in a society where comparison is the thing. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. We're constantly being forced to compare our lives with the snapshots of other people's lives. And we know that that's not real life. People don't typically post pictures of the worst times of their lives. Sometimes they do. But most people try to overemphasize. Have you ever been to a restaurant and seen somebody taking multiple pictures of their breakfast because they're trying to reframe it and reframe it and reframe it, just get the perfect shot? Or their toes with the beach in the background. They're taking pictures of the best moments of their lives. But what you can't see is what's going on around them. What happened an hour ago? What's going to happen in an hour from now? Maybe some of the worst parts. We have to stop comparing. The fifth trait of unsuccessful people 
is what is often referred to as low-integrity decisions. Warren Buffett, famous uh, oracle of Omaha, he's called. Warren Buffett's famous for saying, I look for people to hire who are of high intelligence. He had three traits. High intelligence, high initiative or energy, and high integrity. And he went on to say, high integrity is the most important. Otherwise, you've just hired a smart, hardworking criminal. He goes on further to say, if they don't have integrity, the first two will kill you. Because if you're going to get somebody without integrity, you want them lazy and dumb. Those are, that's a direct quote from Warren Buffett. Low integrity decisions don't always just refer to criminal activity, by the way. Low integrity decisions can simply refer to what I call marshmallows. What do I mean by marshmallows? Well, I've talked about this before. Maybe you're familiar with this test. It's called the marshmallow test. It's created by psychologist Walter Michel. It's one of the most famous psychological experiments ever conducted. You can go on YouTube and just type in the marshmallow test and you'll find examples. This particular test, let they, they had young people come in, ages four to nine. And they let the kids decide between an immediate reward, typically a marshmallow, or if they could delay gratification, not eat the marshmallow, they would get a larger reward of some kind later on. And they found through this study that a child's ability to delay gratification when they were young was correlated in some ways with positive future outcomes. Now, of course, their home environment, their education, their support system, several other things have been recognized as factors leading to that success. But delayed gratification has been called a high-integrity character trait since it speaks to one's ability to consider the alternatives, the alternatives of waiting, the outcomes, the consequences, and the benefits of not succumbing to personal desires in the moment. Essentially, the way that the experiment was conducted is they put a plate with this big, one of those big giant marshmallows on the plate. And they would say, well, you can have this marshmallow now, but I have to leave the room for a little bit. And if you can wait, you might get something better. And then the person conducting the experiment would get up and leave the room typically for 15 to 20 minutes. And then of course they would watch through a two-way window and they had cameras on the kids and all that. And they would just watch these kids. Some of the videos are really funny because the kids will, you know, sniff the marshmallow and they'll lick their finger and touch the marshmallow and then taste it. And you can just see their the little gears working in their brains. Oh, I want to eat this thing. But the guy or the lady said, if I wait and, you know, some kids succumb and they just take this massive bite out of it. But some of the kids wait and they just stare. They put their heads down on their hands and they just stare at this big marshmallow. And, then, you know, 15 to 20 minutes to a kid is a long time. 15 to 20 minutes to me is a long time. Then the researcher comes back 15 to 20 minutes later and they see. And if the, the, the child could uh, uh, wait and delay the gratification, well, then they got two or three or some other snack and they were super happy. Anyway, interesting experiment. Now, to be clear, there have been many people throughout history who are considered very successful who have made and will make low-integrity decisions. I'm not one of those people that says, these are the rules for success and they're never broken. No, it's not what we're saying. There are successful people who are jerks. There are successful people who do low-integrity things. They're successful for a variety of reasons, although some might, some might say, well, I don't consider them successful because of their low integrity. They might have millions or billions of dollars, but I don't consider them successful, where others might. It depends on the standards you're using to define success. 
High integrity decisions do not guarantee success. There are a lot of people out there that make high integrity decisions every single day who we might look at and go, well, they struggle. They're, they're not successful. Again, depends on the standards we use to define it. So high integrity decisions don't guarantee success just as low integrity decisions don't preclude one from attaining some level of success. But again, what we are talking about are habits and traits that make it more likely one will be successful or progressively realize a worthy goal or ideal. And when I use the term unsuccessful people, I'm referring more to behaviors and mindsets that make it less likely to achieve some level of success and achievement. So low integrity decisions, choosing now, today outcomes over future outcomes, or just making poor decisions based on low integrity. So go over these five things. Listen back to this episode. Ask yourself, how do I use my free or my spare time? Because it's not really free and it's not really spare. Time is our most valuable non-renewable resource and currency. Do you find yourself always having to vacate on your time off of your day job? If so, what do you hope to magically accomplish beyond your day job one year, three years, five years from now? If you get five years or 10 years down the road and you look back and you go, well, I'm in the same place. Maybe I got a little promotion here and there. got a couple grand extra in my paycheck. But really, I haven't progressively realized any goal or aspiration beyond this. Why? Did you magically expect it to happen? When you come home and plop down on the couch with a bag of Doritos and watch SportsCenter? What do you hope to accomplish beyond your day job? If you're not progressively, if you're not using that pie, that piece of the pie, that quadrant or that segment of time, that additional six to eight hours of the day after your day job to progressively realize a worthy goal or ideal. Every additional source of income, every new business, every entity that I've developed over the years was created in that third quadrant in between sleep and day job. Every single one of them. Do you seek pleasure over progress? It's the next question. For some, progress is pleasure because mediocrity equals pain. That's me. Progress for me it, it equals pleasure. Doesn't mean that I don't like pleasure for pleasure's sake. But when I'm progressing, when I'm creating something from nothing, when I'm making something, starting a new business, running a business, helping people grow, whatever it is, that progress to me is pleasure. Why? Because for people like me, mediocrity equals pain. I will pop up in the middle of the night with nightmares of being mediocre or, or average. It's not to say I'm not average in some ways. But that kind of thing scares me. Which one are you? Next question, are you a calculated risk taker or are you risk averse? Do you avoid risk out of some prior bad experience or fear? Do you have PTSD because you took some risk in the past and you lost? I've taken lots of risks in the past and I've lost big. I've won big and I've lost big. Hasn't stopped me. Why? Because life is short. Why not? Keep doing it. You can't always play it safe and expect things to get better or change. How much do you find yourself comparing yourself to others and end up feeling bad about yourself? That's the next question. Are you constantly competing and comparing yourself to others? And then finally, would you classify your decisions as high-integrity decisions or low-integrity ones? Can you delay gratification in favor of a better future outcome? 
This is part of the digging your well mindset that I teach on. Can you delay gratification? Can you do stuff today that you can see no immediate results or outcome from, but you know three months, six months, 12 months down the line, there will be some return. Can you delay gratification in favor of, of a better future outcome? Just a few things to consider, my friends, on your way to progressively realizing a worthy goal or ideal. Until next week, my friends, I'm out.